Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. A lot of focus in real estate has been on multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, industrial, and other like asset classes. But one asset class you don't hear a lot about is land. Yet the opportunities to buy and hold or to flip land are immense. There are 1.9 billion acres of land in the U.S. and only 6% of it is developed. Billionaires like Ted Turner, the Ford family, and Jeff Bezos are buying as much as they can. Today's guest, Jeanette Amayo, went from being a manager at Starbucks to getting into the land business and is doing exceptionally well in just two years. Today we have with us a very, very interesting lady who is in the land business and she has done so much incredible stuff in such a little amount of time. I've just been super psyched to have this conversation to learn how and why. And so we have with us Jeanette Amayo. Jeanette, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thank you, Roger. I am so thrilled to be here to discuss my history and uh, why I'm where I am and how I got here. It's exciting for me to share this with your viewers. Fantastic. I appreciate that. And, you know, before we hit the record button, you know, Jeanette and I talked about how we both love talking a lot. So, but in this case, you're going to hear Jeanette more than me. So where did it all start? I know you spent a bunch of time in Florida for sure, but is that where you were born? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I was Born in the Bronx, New York, lived there until I was about 10 years old, until my parents are like, no, we're not raising kids here. And we went in our station wagon with the wood panels, if anybody remembers those. I do. Um, me, me and my sisters and our cat, our white Angora cat, driving down to Florida. We moved down to Florida in uh, 1980. Um, and then since then, grew up there, went to uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, and then did my career and went forward with my education. I uh, went to University of Miami, got my bachelor's there, go Canes for sure. And I went to FIU and I went, started to go into education. I got my master's in education, special education, actually, at FIU in Miami. And then we moved up to Orlando and I actually got my doctorate in education, educational leadership to be exact, at a University of Central Florida. Wow. So how, how old were you when you moved down to Florida? So I was about nine and a half years old. Got it. Okay. About nine and a half. About and, nine and a half. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You can tell I'm a math major, right? That was my undergraduate. So everything is very specific. That I would imagine helps you immensely in what you're doing now, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So wh where in Florida did you guys end up settling in? So we were in Orlando area, but uh, it was Seminole County, which is north of Disney. Everyone knows where Disney is. Um, and then that's where I taught, became an assistant principal and moved up to become a principal, actually, of an elementary school level. Um, and I spent many years in education. Finally, we looked at moving my husband and I and we said we looked at each other and we're like okay listen we we'd been talking about it for so long and we said okay we're gonna move if one of us finds a job and if we're able to sell our house within two weeks time and we were literally almost joking well I found a job 
in Colorado, which is where I was looking. And we sold our house in seven days at the worst time of the market. So here we go in our 20-foot trailer with our dog moving to Colorado. About That was about nine years ago. Nine years ago. It was a terrible time in the market, but you still sold it at seven days. Did you just price it super low? It, it was just a great area, great school district, and we got lucky. I mean, we had grandparents who wanted it. It was a big, pretty big house that backed up to a park, and it, it was just a really, really great house with a pool. So uh, I don't know. We somehow got really lucky, but everything everything worked out, works out for us, and it's so much about your belief system, and we'll get into that for sure. But um, And then now we live in Colorado, and for me, it's the best place to live in the entire world. I don't know about the entire world. I'll say <laughs> you. I'll say United States. United um, States. We love it here. Uh, Colorado is absolutely phenomenal place to live, and everything about it is just so wonderful and uh, such a wonderful place to have raised our own kids here as well. Where in Colorado? So we live in Castle Rock, and that's uh, almost smack in the middle between Colorado Springs and Denver. I see. Uh, and then why did you want to get out of Florida? You know, we had lived there. I mean, I, I had been there since I was nine and I, I'm a traveler. I just I like to explore different places and I really love mountains. <laughs> so being in Florida, I mean, our biggest mountain were speed bumps, right? Um, so it was just the place that, you know, we wanted to live where we vacationed a lot and it really interested us. And we thought, you know, we could get a new homestead there. But I'm telling you, at first we were almost literally kidding until it actually happened. But uh, yeah, I mean, we had a life there in Florida that we loved. We still have a lot of family members there and go there often. But uh, it was time for us. It was time to make a new move and explore different places and different states and different parks and all that, that Colorado and all the surrounding states have to offer. I have to say, in my opinion, moving from Seminole County in that area to Colorado is a major upgrade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for us, it was mostly the landscape and the weather. I mean, I was tired of the hot and hotter weathers. I mean, that was our seasons, hot and hotter. So, you know, everybody has their own interest. And then this was ours. And it's been a phenomenal place to raise kids here for sure. I see. Well, congratulations that you made the move. That takes a lot of courage to, to make a move of that magnitude. And it sounds like it's worked out phenomenally well. How do you then go from your background as an educator? Uh, how, do, how do you end up deciding to get into real estate and land in particular? Oh, my goodness. How, how long do we have, Roger? Just kidding. So, you know, and, I, and I've spoken that I've had a W-2 for 35 years. I mean, I've had a job that I've gotten a paycheck since I was 14 years old. And every single job I've had in my career, I've always, you know, would look at the top person and say, okay, how do I get there? How do I get there? And it was just, and it was how I became a principal, right? I started as a teacher and I was like, how do I, you know, I looked at the top person in my school, which was the principal. And I'm like, how do I get there? And I did what I needed to do to get those promotions, got promoted, um, got a job at a university as an associate dean um, in Colorado, I mean, and worked as a retail manager here as well. And what I was looking for every time was some semblance of 
just some flexibility and in my schedule, obviously more pay. But what I found that I got (laughs) was way more stress (laughs) and way less time. And so it, it just turned out that what I was seeking, I never got. Um, and of course, I was proud of myself and proud of my achievements. And it was great that I reached those levels of academia and the levels in, in corporate world. Um, but like I said, when I got there, it was some of the most immensely stressful jobs I have ever had in my life. Um, so... It was just not something that I wanted to continue to pursue. And I constantly questioned myself, like, what is there out there for me? Like, this can't be it because this is not the lifestyle that I want to live. I went through, I got my doctorate, I, I got educated so well to be able to live my life, right? And I found out that that was the last thing I was able to do. So, um, but you know, I guess you could have, uh, done any number of things other than getting into the land business. Um, so what, what was it about that in particular that you decided to pursue? Yeah, of course. So I was pretty much at wit's end (laughs) in my life and knew that I needed to do something else, whatever that something else. And yes, I, you know, it's like I delved into a lot of things. So I completely got out of education and actually became a retail manager um, here in Colorado thinking, okay, this has to be better than what I was doing. And it turned out to be worse. I'm like, how is that possible? And um, so I did delve in other things first, things that were more along my leadership abilities and things like that. And I mean, it was not something that I was pursuing real estate at all primarily because I knew nothing about it except to buy houses with a realtor. So uh, my sister actually found out about this land company or this company that um, provides coaching and mentorship and bought me tickets to their conference in Colorado. And that was October um, 2020. And so I went and to that and it intrigued me immensely. And the one thing, Roger, that really intrigued me was obviously they talked about the people who were doing really well there. Obviously, you know, it's a way that they promote their coaching and this and that. Um, But I kept looking at them and kept being, well, like if they could do it, why can't I? And I kept and I that that thought was with me the entire, I must have said that in my mind about 50,000 times because I'm like, man, if he could do it, why can't I? And if, you know, and there were people there of all ages and races and educational levels and, and sex and everything. And I just kept thinking, well, well, if they could do it, why can't I? And whatever came over me at that moment, I said, okay, I'm doing it. When, when when you say sex, you, different sexes, you, you even including transgender? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was just a lot of different people there, you know, and I kept thinking, well, I'm well educated and I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. That wasn't what I was thinking. I was thinking that I have this drive to do something that would have matched what they had, what they were doing. 
I don't want to take a, a left turn, but I got to tell you, it's like, I used to be that way when I was young and you couldn't tell me anything. And, and I have had some decent successes, but I've had probably as many failures. Luckily, my successes have been bigger dollar wise than my failures dollar wise. So I'm way ahead of the game. But as a result of a lot of the failures, frankly, that I've had, I don't see the world that way as much anymore. And I kind of wish I did, but I don't even want to, this is about you, not about me. So, so interesting that that's the way though, that you got into it is that your sister turned Mm -hmm. you onto it. You just went. So what was your entry point? Cause I know that you're doing notes. And so I guess like, what were the different, like, what was the first thing that you did? I mean, it's still pretty recent. Yeah, it is. It's very recent. So actually, sorry, it was October 2019. I knew how I'd got my year. Oh, okay. So it is, it, that's still really recent, but I was thinking in my head. Um, so even while I started there, though, I was still working full time, obviously. And because of the fact of the way my job was, as we had previously discussed, working like 60, 70 hours and just 24 hour stress and all of that. I couldn't really delve into this with the with the urge sense of urgency. I mean, I was still getting a job, I was still getting paid and you know, all those things were still happening and I didn't have the time and energy. So it just happened to be that COVID comes along and um I'm not undermining that or or you know, it was a horrible thing for many people. Um but for me it just crazy enough allowed me to take off work. And um, I do have a high risk daughter and I had let them know and I, they allowed me to take off work. I took family leave. I took whatever time I could. And it was at that moment that I started this business full time and I never went back to work ever. Wow. What, what was that job, by the way, the retail job? I was <laughs> a store manager at Starbucks. Oh my goodness gracious. Wow. What a great, what a great, fantastic story though. My God. Awesome. Hey, Street Smart listeners. I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305 467 5909. You'll be glad you did. So what's the first thing you did then, you know, when you quit Starbucks or even like, I know that enough about it, you know, to not to be, I could say to be dangerous, but that would be overstating. I don't know anything, but you know, I, I do know they start with, Hey, come up with a mailing list and hit all these landowners and decide your market and, you know, a price point. And there's other criterion that I'm not familiar with. And then you get some, you know, one or 2% respond. And then you talk Mm -hmm. to the person and you buy their land. But, but obviously that is dramatic oversimplification, but what, what did you do? Yeah. Well, Roger, that was pretty much it, but (laughs) 
what you just said. Just kidding. But um, like for me, and when I, and just to preface that previous statement, when I decided not to go back to work at that point in time, I didn't have a single sale to speak of. And I didn't have a single contract to speak of. And it took everything in me to know that I can do it and I could do it successfully. And for me personally, it was so much the need for necessity because I couldn't put my kids and become homeless, right? So for me, it was the, the necessity that allowed me to have that sense of urgency and provide me with my why to move forward in this business. Okay. So did you then do what we just said? Yeah, I know mm-hmm. you had a coach, obviously, because you yeah. just said that earlier. Yeah. And did you choose a market and then send mm-hmm. mailers out? And what all, what, like, what was that process like? And how, people started calling you and you started returning calls and like, what happened? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to set up, obviously. So you have to think about, I mean, something like a phone system has to be right. And initially I didn't have a right phone system. It was coming directly to my phone, hundreds of calls. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, you really evolve as you move forward in your business, but you get things in place. Um, you get your phone system, you get your mailing center, uh, you have all of these things in place and then you work. I work personally with my coach and looked at counties and areas that would work for what I'm looking for, um, for the market. Then you set your criteria, like what criteria are you going to set for land? Do you just want to have any land or maybe you just want farmland or maybe you just want commercial land um, or maybe you just want larger acres or maybe you just want, you know, in the city. So there's so much criteria to think about when it comes to land and what is going to work for you. You know, I've no obviously now know tons of people in the land business and every single one of us runs our business differently. Um, just because there's so many different ways that we could a, you know, decide upon what land we're going to work with. So what was your first list then? Like, what was your criterion? Was it in a city? Was it farmland? What was the criterion? How many did you mail out? Yeah. So I found counties that would work and, you know, you kind of look for count and you, number one, you look for places that are developing and that population is going to, right? Because, you know, you want to know that once you get the land, you can sell it. You know, it can't be someplace that is losing population. So there's lots of websites that are used to make sure that those areas and counties and states we're increasing in population because that's really important to establish. And then once you do that, then you narrow it down further into the counties. So now you looked at states, now you look at counties. And even if the state is doing well or is not doing well as a state, counties in those states do well and not do well. So then you're drilling down to counties. And once you find those counties that are being successful at becoming more populous, then you mail out to those counties. And uh, part of that, and pretty much I kind of sent a blind shot out initially, was like, okay, let me just send it to anybody and everybody in those counties. And now, now that I've been doing it as long as I have, you kind of get your criteria down to more workable things and more things that would um, enhance people being able to sell their property, like, you know, out of town owners, things like that. So maybe some that had been, that had taxes that were overdue and things like that. 
Interesting. And and so where are you mailing to now? And is that what you're doing? Are you doing like out of town owners that are behind on their taxes? Is that what you're doing now? Or No, not exactly. I mean, I've definitely refined it. I mean, I don't have one singular place because we do them so often. Um, but primarily the Southeast is what I I do mostly. Um, and I live in Colorado, and so I dabble in Colorado, but not 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 as much. Um, but mostly the southeast, and not necessarily now only out of town owners. You know, really just looking to see, you know, who's willing to sell and do it quick. What we can provide is so much different than what realtors can provide, or if they sell it on the market. I mean, there's an advantage that people have in selling to us, which is a quick sale which is they don't have to deal with any closing costs, anything or, you know, anything related to their closing. So there's lots of advantages as to why people would choose to sell to us. Got it. How many, like when you send mailers out now, like typically how many pieces? You know, that has, that has definitely veered from, you know, just different amounts because obviously you evolve, like I said. You know, I've I've gone as high as four thousand a month, um, but right now I'm back to two thousand just because I just am. It for me, it's quality and not quantity. So I know what I'm looking for. I know who to reach out to, and I feel comfortable with those areas. So I've really refined it even more, which also decreases my expenses. Got it. And what percent of responses do you typically get? Like one to two percent or three? Yeah. 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 Usually usually up to two percent. But I mean, and it seems like a little, right? But you know, let's say I send out two thousand mailers, get four accepted offers that month. So each and it ranges in how much you can get. I just did sell a property with what will likely be a $60,000 profit for that property alone. I'm not saying that happens on every property, but I'm saying it's it's definitely no less than like 10, 15,000 a property. Got it. And so going back to the phone system, what does that mean? Does that mean you have a third party mm-hmm. that takes the call or what exactly does that mean? Yeah. And now that's what we've, we've evolved to, you know, obviously I've gotten, I mean, it used to be three people, me, myself and I, right. I did every aspect of this business. Um, and now I have more of a team of people who do different aspects of the business. So I have a person who helps market it and a person who does acquisition. And then I do have a call system. Then I have someone who helps do my ads. So it's definitely you know, been something that I've been able to recruit people to help out now that it's definitely been more lucrative. Coming from your background, that is really, really, really impressive. And when you say ads, so obviously you're doing these mailers. When you say ads, you're doing Google ads or what does that mean? Yeah, no, ads are relating to when we get the property and we're ready to sell it. Okay. Um, so we market it on many, many land sites. Uh, you know, I do as many as we could possibly do, the more the better. And that comes along with there's a usually a traditional ad that that is developed prior to getting them marketed in all the spots. To mail out 2000, uh, so you've got printing and you've got postage, you've got the list, you know, et cetera, processing costs. What does it cost to send 2000 mailers out? 
It is, I mean, for the mailers alone, it'll be probably about 2600 Got it. So it's a little bit, you know, it's a, sounds like it's a dollar thirty a piece, whatever, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then what do you think, um, Jeanette, when you started out, how much money, you know, you, you don't, I don't need itemization, but mm-hmm. you know, how much money did it take to kind of launch this? Like how much money did you have to spend after yeah. you left Starbucks, let's say your mm-hmm. first 90 days? Yeah. Great. That's a great question. Um, because what's important to know is not where I am, but how I got here and what it took. Um, that's something that's not always always divulged, right? People are like, oh yeah, you're super successful in this and you're, now you're doing this and you're making all these deals. No, I mean, there's a cost structure for sure. I mean, and I, and I can be totally transparent and honest. I was down $25,000 before I became, before I made any type of profit in this business. I mean, that, that is having a coach, which obviously is a costly endeavor getting some technology that I needed, the database for this for this business, um, and then doing the mailings and doing all the things that need to be done and all the expenses that go along with it. So interesting because, you know, since I knew I was going to interview you and I've just been over the holidays, I spent some time listening to, you know, podcasts or whatever. And is, as I said, when you and I very first started talking about all the times I failed at many, many different things, one of them is, is the ways I have failed is being lured into different things where there was promises isn't the right word because that makes me feel, you know, sound like a victim, which I am, by the way. But, but you know, that it's going to be so much cheaper. And then that's why I ask the question. I'm like, it never is. There's always a, well, do you have to pay this? You know, subscription to that. And you need a website that's for this or, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's why. So I appreciate the answer and it makes a lot of sense. So I guess, what would you say was like the hardest part of learning? Like what was the hardest stuff you needed to learn? Great, great, great question. For me, it was nothing having to do with the business because I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I'm a quick learner. I've been well-educated, been in school many years. So I can, I can learn things quickly. I can catch on to things quickly. You know, I can, so it wasn't, any aspect of the business at all. And what it was, was my mindset that was a work in progress because I mentioned before, 35 years getting a paycheck, 35 years with bosses telling you what to do with, you know, and being an entrepreneur and running your own business is like, is the other, you know, extreme and um, I found that, you know, initially it was tough. My mind, it was tough on me. It was because success doesn't come right away. And I told you I was down $25,000. Success does not come right away. What I needed to do is pull myself up from my, my straps and keep moving. Um, for me, it was persistency and consistency uh, and keeping my mindset and as well as having people in my life Um, And I have a partner, not that's in my business, but we collaborate all the time and we are each other's brain chargers for sure. And having that in place so that when you are down, you don't necessarily have to get down. When you did that deal, or maybe you're in the middle of it, or maybe you just completed it when, you know, a $60,000 profit 
And was that, Jeanette, was that a flip, bought it for X, sold it for, you know, X and then, you know, minus expenses and you just cleared 60 and moved on? Or do you still own that property and, you know, or carrying the financing or what does that look like? Yeah, great question. There's a lot of different closings that I do. And I know we talked about notes and I'll get into that because I really am so proud of that part aspect of my business. But for this one in particular, it was one that it's, I didn't, I am going to have to buy um, because we're using a different closing company, but it's literally going to be, I'm going to buy it the day before that the my buyer buys it. So I'm not, really holding on to it or expending money for any great length of time for this one in particular. And then how much does the property cost? The property costs 180000 Got it. And then how much do you have to put down to take ownership before it transfers to a, a buyer? Yeah, that much plus closing costs. So where do you come up with that money? So for this one in particular, I was able to get and access transactional funding. So it's just a funding source um, that literally allowed, and they're giving me a week's time, but literally allowed me to to borrow that amount of money for a week. But I I told them it'll be no more than three days. So it's going to be that quick. That's cool. So that, Mm -hmm. that, that totally works. And did they do, I mean, did they do a fair amount of homework in terms of evaluating the, the value of the property just to make sure, you know, if something went awry, they weren't caught holding the bag with, you know, piece of property that wasn't worth that amount or like what kind of diligence do they do? Not really. Um, I, I think mostly it's, uh, because I've been doing it and being so successful, there's a trust factor and, uh, people, in that business know what I'm doing um, and feel confident with it. And I did, you know, let them know we actually have multiple buyers for this. So it's not, you know, I, and I wouldn't necessarily, I don't have that confidence unless I know that it will actually end up closing with an end buyer. So I wouldn't have borrowed under any other condition that for any other risk, obviously, because it is a lot of money and I wouldn't have put that risk on anybody else. And is it a company or is it like just a, a high net worth individual or? It is. And I don't have, it's similar to like a friend of a friend type of thing. Oh, okay. I, I get it. And so in other deals that you're doing, you maybe tell me about notes mm-hmm. and cause I heard you talk about that on another podcast and how does that work? Yeah. So when I stopped getting a paycheck, you know, the most important thing for me was like getting passive income because for me, I need that security of getting a quote unquote paycheck and knowing that regardless of whether my business is being successful or not, that I'm still getting that income to basically survive and to have a homestead with my family. And so that's what I pursued crazily. And every ad and everything that I marketed my properties, I marketed to finance them. And that's what I do. I am actually the bank for now upwards of 15 properties of 15 um, borrowers who needed money to buy their, to buy the land that I'm selling. And then have, um, are, are they all current or have you had to chase money down or Yeah. So it's very interesting, obviously. And, uh, you know, for me, it's not as high risk as people think. 
So um, obviously it's land, right? And let's say, I mean, people come into many, many different circumstances where they all of a sudden can't pay based upon whatever is happening. So there's many different scenarios that could happen. Obviously, they have the deed of trust to that property and I'm just the note holder. It's almost like you live in a house and someone has your mortgage. And so they can actually sell their land um, and then once they sell it, they can, you know, pay off the promissory note, obviously, before it closes. So there's that one part of it. Um, and if they really can't pay, you know, I can, they can sign over to me a quick claim deed on the property and I take immediate ownership back without having to foreclose or, or have them have a foreclosure um, in their credit. And then the last thing is foreclosing. I mean, obviously, um, when we have a promissory note and we hold it, it's been recorded in the county and it's legal and binding. And so you can foreclose on a property. And I have. And uh, when you foreclose on a property, that property obviously becomes yours. I have a property in my business's name due to a foreclosure. And then you can do as you wish and then you can resell it. And again, bear with my just raw ignorance here because I've never done this. And, you know, is the way this works is that you will, let's say, buy a property worth a hundred grand from somebody that, let's say, owes 50 grand. You buy the property for 50 and then you sell it to somebody else, let's say, for a hundred or a hundred, whatever it is. And then you basically do seller financing. You carry the note to the person that buys it from you. Yeah, 100%. Okay. And then how do you come up with, because the only reason I ask, I mean, it sounds like it's a pretty personal question, but, you know, given that you're still, you know, relatively new, how are you financing the buy on your end? So sometimes they're giving me enough money or enough of a down payment to pay my seller. You know, whatever the deal I have with the seller, sometimes whatever down payment I get from the buyer will cover that sometimes, um, but not all the time and not usually. Um, and throughout my deals, that's what I've been doing. Anytime I do cash deals and I get the profit, obviously, any like last dollar I have and I, I put towards financing. Um, for me, it's uh, you know lucrative enough for me to use that money to make more money and to invest in a note where I get interest on every single property that um, is purchased, which has allowed me to have uh, now I have passive income that exceeds my, my any my highest salary that I've had in a career. That's amazing, especially. I mean, what blows my mind is how quick you've done it. I mean, look, I mean, you're talking about basically in two years. I mean, that's that's extraordinary. So back just to over clarify and overwork this question. So let's say you bought it for fifty grand. And you, what you're saying is, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't fully understand how you come up with the 50 grand. That's what I was wondering. Okay. Let me be a little more clear. So I'm going to give you a specific situation. So let's say a seller or I offer a seller $35,000 for their property and they agree for that. Um, let's say I ended up by selling it for 50, 60,000, right? 55, 60,000. So, and I use seller financing. So with the buyer, we negotiate on what that down payment looks for them. So you're doing seller financing when you're buying the property. 
know when I'm selling. Uh, okay. All right. I, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're fine. So when I find a buyer and I sell it to them and I offer them seller financing, we discuss what the down payment would look like and what the what the terms would look like. So in that example, let's say they give me $10,000 down payment and their note is for 120 months. So when we close on that property, obviously I use that $10,000 down payment to pay off the seller because I owe the seller $35,000. And then the difference I would have to come up with to pay off when we close, when I close with the seller. So that would be upwards of 20 grand. Uh huh. Where are you coming up with that? So again, that's, I mean, obviously it wasn't something that I could do day one or even day 90. It's been a work in progress. So as I get cash sales, because I I do, I mean, I intermingle them with seller finance. As I get, like I'm just now getting a cash deal, I use, I utilize that money to, to pay off my sellers, to provide the seller financing to my buyers. It's pieces of a puzzle, basically. Yeah. It's just, it's constantly moving money, which I, I'm, I love doing. Well, cause <laughs> you're a math, you have that the math background. Exactly. How much paperwork is involved in this? <laughs> I mean, I've done so much to set up my own processes and, you know, I've just established so many of my own processes. It just depends on what qualities you have that can relate to this business. I mean, some people will put it off or give it to other people to organize and establish and set up. But it's been something that I've eagerly been able to do quite successfully is set up some processes for this business. In your first, let me say, and you can answer it however, but let's say your first 180 days, six months, or even first year, how many hours a week did you put in? That is a great question. And it's good because... Like people don't realize like, oh yeah, you know, and what it takes to get to where you are. I mean, I have to say at the point I am now, maybe I put in, let's say 25 hours a week, but (laughs) where I, because now I have more people on my team. So now I'm not working in my business, more on my business. But when I started, it was probably upwards of 45, 50 hours a week or more, you know, I'm not surprised if you would have told me 80, it wouldn't have surprised. I'd be, you probably put as many as you want. And, and did you, are you, a, you know, again, coming from your most recent gig was at Starbucks, you come out of education. What was the integration for you around having to learn technology or are you really strong with technology to begin with? Yeah, the technology part I felt very comfortable with. And like, you know, like someone just, like I said, it's like I'm a quick learner and someone just has to show me one time and I feel rather comfortable. Um, I, you know, I did have to understand and learn a new database, but it was very, very user friendly. Um, so technology definitely wasn't a hiccup for me in this process. And why would you say, you know, I want to be respectful of your time because you said you had to stop at 45. Mm-hmm. And so I thank you so much because you've been so forthcoming in your your answers. So you've clearly from your base, you you started out with a bunch of newbies on that weekend, I'm sure. And in, in the last couple of years, I'm sure you've encountered a lot of people either firsthand or second, you know, or, or maybe one or two degrees of separation from people that have, a lot of people started from ground up. And I guess what would separate, why would somebody fail at this versus succeed? 
great question. Um, for me, and I, I'll only talk personally, obviously, as to my my journey. For me personally, A, it had to happen out of necessity. Um, I wasn't able to really do it successfully when I was, when you know, I had a salary when I had money. And yeah, this extra money would have been nice and all of that, but it was out of necessity that got my heart moving so fast that provided me that drive to do what needed to be done. Really, at that point in time, I was like, whatever it takes, right? Because when you don't have a job and when you don't have money coming in and when you need to help support your family, for me, it was whatever it takes. Um, and that's what it was for me. And then I, it's that mindset shift. I did a lot of personal, professional development in getting my mindset to be an entrepreneur, to get that persistence consistent and know that, you know, that inner villain that comes out and says, you can't do it and know that you can regardless. So that to me was the most important thing to me was my mindset shift. Um, and I know that this endeavor will continue to be successful. I mean, I, I just know there's no doubt about it. Um, and I know because I'm definitely pursuing other types of different things, including uh, multifamily. And I regardless, I know that I'll be successful in that as well. And that's what it takes that knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that that success is within arm's reach. They say uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And that's what I, you just described. It sounds like your back was against the wall and you had no other choice. No other choice. <laughs> okay. I get it. I get it loud <laughs> and clear in my own business. It took me a long, long, long time to be successful. And it was quite frankly, absolutely brutal beyond belief. And quite frankly, had I had any money. And if I had the money then that I had now, there's no way I would have persisted. There's just no way, but I had no choice. Well, it is, uh, I'm giving you two extra minutes. You've been so good to talk to. And uh, if, if you would like anybody to contact you and just wants to sell you land or buy land from you or say hello or whatever, how, how would they do that? Please, anybody, feel free to reach out. I definitely love talking to people, whether it's you know, someone who's looking to get into this or someone is looking to buy or sell land, um, you can contact me at info at destinylandusa.com. Got it. Jeanette, fantastic. I cannot thank you enough. Roger, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you soon. You got it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>